The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomabete on SAFM. Student Night. We had Prof. Pakeng on the show earlier this week and she mentioned that students doing qualitative research may not have to do field work to fulfill their dissertation requirements for a postgraduate degree at UCT anyway. Tonight we continue then that discussion by asking students whether this change in methodology has any impact on the credibility of the thesis and what ethical clearance concerns might crop up. A lecturer in the Curriculum Studies Department at UKZN, Dr. Mandla Tlachwayo, is on the line to have a conversation with us. For those of you who are students who are impacted by your inability to conduct your fieldwork and related research for the purposes of completing your studies, your hard-earned studies after dedicating years to providing the kind of research that is to take society, specifically the South African society, ahead. You might want to join in on this conversation. 891 that's the line to call. Let us know if you don't have airtime, we'll call you back. What's our voice notes otherwise, data? 614 104 107. Dr. 100% my brother. You've got such a nice voice. You should join me sometime. It's Dr. Excellent. When you have time, come and join me on radio. You've got the perfect radio for SAFM. <laughs> Let's talk, please, about qualitative research and the change in what has to be done to fulfill still the requirements of university degrees. It's incredibly hard. So I can be honest with you, it's incredibly hard. I mean, universities like UKZN at the moment are, are, are advising postgraduate students now, your master's and PhD students, that we've got essentially two batches of students, right? The, those ones who are still going to uh, get their proposal across, get their proposal passed, we are advising them now as a precautionary measure to at least do one of two things. So firstly, just have something within your methodology regarding how are you going to be generating or, or collecting your data. So A, have that pre-COVID uh, 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 data strategy where you're going to be generating your data if there was no COVID. Or B, alternatively, also have your, 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 your COVID data regarding how are you going to be careful to make sure that you are able to collect your data without face-to-face, sitting down, having physical contact with your participants. So those ones are largely safe because they can still almost anticipate they can meet with their supervisors, get some advice, and try and preempt it. I think our five biggest worries are those ones whose studies have actually been approved. They should be collecting and doing their studies at the moment, but the challenge is they cannot meet physically, they cannot conduct their interview, they cannot do focus groups and assign all these things that they want to do. I mean, one of my own students wants to do classroom participant observation where she sits in the classroom, observes what the teacher is doing, and takes down the note. All of that is gone now, and it's incredibly, incredibly hard for our postgraduate students. So all that we are advising now is refine your strategy. You see that you cannot uh, do those physical contact interviews. You cannot physically do those observations in the classroom. So what we are advising them now is simply, can you do some of these things telephonically or virtually? Excellent point, because I am minded to think back at a massive scandal that hit Stellenbosch University last year when they released uh, let's call it a study because that's what it was called, but certain studies surely should meet some legal, ethical, and just moral oblig- moral grounds. A study about women, colored women in particular, and cognitive ability, all that nonsense. I nearly said the B word. 
We know this happens in academia from time to time, case in point, the example I've just used. Especially now, when the game is very different and the protocols, whilst still in place, will be squeezed in terms of how they get passed because they're using different platforms for meeting and the timeframes change. Naturally, somebody who wants to participate in data capturing, if I can call it that, of this kind would be concerned about the necessary ethical clearances made more pronounced by the conditions that now pertain. Perhaps going back to what you said and what precedes it, what now should especially inform the clearance of the kind of data in fieldwork that is sought for the purposes of academic output? Yes, I think with the current health crisis, I mean, the, 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 the Stellenbosch example that you're citing was a failure on so many levels. I mean, from the authors themselves, who should have been a little bit much more sensitive and ethically aware to the university that ethically approved this study, to the journal editor that allowed this to be published, to the reviewers who actually okayed the research. So I think it was holistically just a failure of ethical consciousness that we saw there leading to such kinds of questionable research. Now, I think right now, because of the health crisis, we are in a pandemic now. So I think our ethical clearance in everything that we do for postgraduate research will be informed by protecting the researcher vis-a-vis the students themselves and also protecting the research participants. It could be teachers, it could be learners, it could be fellow students, it could be other workers, sex workers in the community, it could be anyone. So it's important to protect both of them. So one of the things that we are looking forward to is to A, demonstrate that you are aware of the importance of the health crisis that we are in and that you understand the gravity. B, what are some of the steps that you will take reasonably within your own uh, 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 strength? What measures can you reasonably take to make sure that you mitigate against uh, uh, potentially physically meeting with your participants and exposing yourself potentially to COVID-19? So things like I'm no longer going to be sitting down and arranging that interview physically with them, but I'm going to do it over the phone. No, 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 I'm going to be able to do it over Zoom. No, 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 we're going to do it over Skype. I think those are some of the things that we're looking at. But I do it. I do need to put a caveat that already by my conversation, Songezo, you can see how exclusionary and elitist this then becomes for those postgraduate students who are either in the township or the rural areas who will struggle to access these devices and data. Yeah, you see now, then we talk about actual social inequality translating and becoming academic inequality because what you've just said now is more a social issue, but now has an impact in the academic sphere. Are universities prepared to deal with this? It's different. It's different, right? Because we still have to recognize that universities in South Africa are still quite uh, fragmented and differentiated. And what I mean by that is that we've got different kinds of universities in South Africa. We've got your historically white universities, your UCT, your Rhodes, uh, your Wurz, your, your, your Stellenbosch, your UP. Your You've got is. your historically black universities. That's your University of Western Cape. That's your Fort Hay University. Mm. Then you've got your universities of technology, right? Your TUT, the Twane University of Technology. You've got Durban University of Technology and others. And increasingly, you've got TV colleges. So as I'm mentioning all of that to just state the point that 
even in terms of the university capacity to respond to COVID-19, is influenced by the kind of university that you are. UCT, Rhodes, UP, UJ to some extent, have all offered not only to provide stipend to those vulnerable students who are struggling, but they've also been leading in the country in providing some of these technological devices and data. Your historically black universities like your Zululand, University of Limpopo, Venda, uh, Mangosut University, those kinds of universities already they were struggling financially and they are not in a position to be able to offer any support to students. So those ones tend to be heavily reliant on the government. So you can absorb um, this pressure depending on where you are. If you're a historically white university, you are in a better position. But if that particular student is located in your Zululand, your, your, your DUT, if you can, your UWC, if you can, your Venda, your Tswane University of Technology, TVET colleges, those ones tend to be much more vulnerable than their peers in Edvets or Rhodes or, or UCT. No, point taken, well driven, well taken. Let's talk now about the students themselves. I mean, once you are a post-grad student, you are no longer just meeting a requirement that has probably been set by your parents. Go to university, go to school, get yourself a degree. When you go to post-grad, you've not only engaged so many potential topics that could excite and interest you, and probably many would, but you choose one out of many, and you decide to now vocationally really zone in onto this, and you come up with novel information or novel thoughts as to how you can get more information and advance that particular field. To the extent that now you are so deep into it, so to speak, your research and your advancing knowledge in a particular discipline, and COVID comes. If I heard Professor Paken correctly, it is an option for students to altogether abort mission and, f- and find something else which is not going to be challenged by the research, I mean by the data gathering information. I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to readily encourage students to give up on pursuing what they really are passionate about. Perhaps then, if I could ask it differently, what would you say to encourage students, albeit engaging the new rules in the changed game, why especially they should be insistent on using COVID to even get deeper into some of these issues that they were interested in getting into, but for COVID itself, for the purposes still of advancing even that much more, that discipline? Yeah, no, no, I completely understand. I mean, it's a struggle. Of course, COVID does uh, offer us an opportunity to reflect quite deeply about the challenges in society. I was talking with a colleague the other day that COVID cannot only be researched uh, epidemiologically, you know, in the sense that uh, what is the vaccine? How is the virus spreading in the body? Uh, Which respiratory system in the body is it affecting? How long does it take to to show? But but, but COVID-19 can also be investigated sociologically in terms of who is mostly affected? Where are they located? To what extent can we can we do social distancing and self-isolation if you are living in Deep Slut, Kaili, Chasoweto, and those other areas? So you see some of those things in terms of the discourses that we speak about the virus and how we should be tackling it and responding it does not always align with the reality of the millions of South Africans who are still, I mean, you've got over 17 million that are surviving on the grand system to have their bread. We know that there's one shack in Tipsuit as we are speaking now, we're in that one shack. There's about six to seven people sharing that one shack. So one of them gets diagnosed uh, with COVID-19. What kind of social distancing would that happen when that entire community relies on what? Three or four taps and about three or 
for to toilets as well. So I, I think it does offer an opportunity in one sense to be able to research the impact of COVID, whether on the political system, but the political behavior, so, so sociologically in terms of what it means for us as a human being and how it is represented, framed uh, in the media. Definitely there's quite a, a lot of research opportunities. But also I have to add that the challenge with, with what is happening now, and I just want to hone in on your earlier point as well, on, on that reinforcement of that inequality. And I think that's where the stress, the pressure, and increasingly the depression that many postgraduate students are finding themselves in, because now they are back in the township, now they are back in the rural areas. They don't have access to connectivity. They don't have access to technological devices. Some of them are even struggling right now to have access to even connectivity in terms of some of the, the, the signal there. And they have to walk about two or three hours just to respond to my own email asking about their work. And those are the struggles that me and my colleagues are currently going through. And those are some of the challenges that inequality, again, is rearing its head. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We've got a couple of voice notes from students themselves in their voices. Uh, Dr. Mlamli Thachwa, your lecturer in the Curriculum Studies Department at UKZN, is here for another 10 or so minutes to engage your thoughts, your anxieties, your questions, your calls, your comments after the break. The Viewpoint on SAFM with Songhezomapegwe. Monday to Thursday, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Like I said, I've also had to really consider um, some ethical and methodological things for my research. Um, I'm in the second year of my master's. Um, But for me, some of the things is that um, I have had to just consider using things such as Zoom, um, possibly even WhatsApp video calls for those who might not have access to Zoom, Um, thinking about possibly just sort of delaying um, my data collection, if that's possible, because uh, one of the things for me is that with my with, with the group of women that I wanted to interview for my kind of research, It's also difficult to assume that people will have access to things such as Zoom or, you know, the data to to use things such as WhatsApp video calls um, and so forth. So it's kind of been a difficult thing for me to navigate. Um, So I don't know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you do need to tease them out as you think through, you know, the methods that you'll be using to collect um, data and to reach people. Because also, I think in the humanities, it's difficult because our research is personal. You know, our research um, is about getting to know people and hearing their stories and, and understanding those better. And online it i don't know i think it kind of takes away um those personal interactions that we would want to have but of course in the wake of a pandemic there isn't really much that you can do about that um but to sort of make your own adjustments so i think for me that's been the most difficult um thing is that i would have to forego um the more sort of personal interactions that i would have liked to have um I think that, that that's the that's the main issue for me. Um, but a lot of people I know have really had to just consider 
um, things such as, you know, recording their Zoom meetings, um, possibly postponing their uh, fieldwork to just consider all of the ethical considerations and possibly even resubmitting um, ethical sort of applications to outline those new um, modifications that they'd have to do. So those have been some of the things that I think um, people such as myself um, and other people who have, who might have already gotten ethical clearance for this year, um, that those are some things that they're going to be considering. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Trinam Tengwane. Well, personally, I decided to suspend my PhD studies. The reason being that it would be quite difficult to change my methodology in order for it to be in line with what is currently happening. I had planned my study in a certain way and changing it would of course have implications for the quality and the direction that I wanted to take with my study. Also, there are to a large extent a lot of ethical concerns because it is more than just a matter of, eti of ethical concerns as things stand. It is also a matter of health concerns. So I, for those reasons, I decided to just hold back on my PhD and perhaps continue when we are all in the clear. It's painful. It's painful. It's, 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 it's really painful. Especially the, 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 the gentleman who just spoke now on, on having to deregister for his PhD now uh, uh, because of the challenges. And I think what he's saying is actually frustrating a lot of postgraduate students at the moment because there is a sense that the postgrads in the country are being forgotten. They're not being funded by NESFAS. They're not being included uh, in the national plan by the Department of Higher Education. Uh, they're the forgotten generation now. So there is that growing frustration that uh, there are no provisional assistance uh, are geared towards them. So I, I, I do completely understand their frustration and I do hope at some point, particularly for historically black universities and your TV colleges as well, I am actually quite hoping that for your for your Forte, your Zululand, your your UWC, your your, 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 your Venda University, University of Limpopo and others, I do hope the government will come into the party now and offer to financially cushion these universities in allowing them to help and support uh, uh, these students. Fantastic. Literally in 30 seconds, your response. Will South Africa pull through? Will the research post-COVID ultimately, whenever that day comes, be enriched or worse? It will be enriched. I, I am an optimist. It will be enriched because, as I've earlier mentioned, that we need to tackle a couple of things. Uh, firstly, I think the COVID, yes, I do agree with Prof. Parking. COVID-19 does offer us a rich opportunity to explore beyond epidemiology, beyond the virus, beyond the disease, to look at some of what the virus is exposing about the structural inequalities that we are continuing to see in South Africa. Also, I think it is important that the government to come to the party and begin to support and fund these black universities so that at least they could be in a position to help their students and equip them to be able to, to continue with their research. But I am an optimist and I'd like to believe that we will pull through, hopefully with a much more solid, in-depth research than we've had before. lecturer in the Curriculum Studies at the department, in that particular department at UKZN. Thanks for your time, sir. 
Great conversation, Dr. Mlamli and Mr. Songlezo. Thank you so much to you. I don't have time to read it out, but I do recognize you, my brother, in the LLB field in Bloemfontein, Ndate Mohale. It's 21.30. I'm out. It's time for book reading.